Well, hello everyone, and welcome back to our next instalment of The Truth. And we're meeting in a slightly different location today for this, so um, different background, but uh, same message, looking at the same book, uh, John, the first epistle of John, as we look at the truth in an age of your truth and my truth, uh, it seems to be anything but the truth. But uh, what is the truth? How do we discern it and how do we live in it? That's the, the essence of this uh, series of talks. And this, this uh, instalment, we're looking at growing in discernment. Growing in discernment. So let me read to you from uh, 1 John, which is the book we're looking at at the moment. 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 to 6. Dear friends, do not believe everyone who claims to speak by the Spirit. You must test them to see if the Spirit they have comes from God. For there are many false prophets in the world. This is how we know if they have the Spirit of God. If a person claiming to be a prophet acknowledges that Jesus Christ came in a real body, that person has the Spirit of God. But if someone claims to be a prophet and does not acknowledge the truth about Jesus... That person is not from God. Such a person has the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard is coming into the world and indeed is already here. But you belong to God, my dear children. You have already won a victory over those people because the spirit who lives in you is greater than the spirit who lives in the world. Those people belong to this world, so they speak from the world's viewpoint and the world listens to them. But we belong to God, and those who know God listen to us. If they don't belong to God, they don't listen to us. And that's how we know that if someone has the spirit of truth or the spirit of deception. So, the truth. Well, we live in an age where the concept of objective truth has been largely left behind. Truth nowadays is what I perceive it to be. There's a brand of Christianity that is gaining in popularity among an increasing number of churches, which is called progressive Christianity. Now, one description of this is as follows. Progressive Christianity draws on the insights of multiple theological streams, including Evangelicalism, liberalism, neo-orthodoxy, pragmatism, postmodernism, progressive reconstructionism, whatever that is, and liberation theology. The concerns of feminism are also a major influence on the movement, as expressed in feminist and womanist theologies. <laughs> so it's quite a broad church, really. Well, one of the features of progressive Christianity is that it reflects the current mood music in society rather than challenging it. So much of what the Bible says about morality, about holiness, about sin, about repentance and about hell are put aside in favour of a purely social gospel, inclusivity, the rights of the individual to choose whatever lifestyle they feel is right for them. In other words, progressive Christianity is about me living my truth and you living your truth. Progressive Christianity is gaining traction in the church in the West. We are indeed in a battle for the truth. 
there's, there's a general confusion that surrounds spiritual matters. So far as most people are concerned, all things spiritual and supernatural come under the same broad banner. They're all merged together in people's minds and, and they take different bits such as yoga, aromatherapy, tai chi, spiritualism and so on. But they're generally perceived as being basically the same kind of thing, all dealing with the general well-being of the whole person. There was a, a program, TV program, not long ago about spirituality in, in the UK. And here's a quote from that uh, program. Britain today is home to many peoples and many faiths, and their products are available on our city streets. And if you can shop around and choose from 20 different washing powders, why can't you pick and mix your religious practices as well? Well, there's a, a general ignorance in society of the vital distinctions between different sorts of spiritual experiences. Now, I, I once spent a, a fascinating day at Church House in London, attending a seminar on how to deal with the press. And one example that was given was how the press handled the opening of the interdenominational cathedral in Milton Keynes. It got into the papers all right, under the banner headline, Opening of New Interfaith Cathedral. Now, it may seem like a small thing, but of course, there's a world of difference between interdenominational and interfaith. And of course, the reason that so many people are caught up in so many different practices is because they seem to work. These different practices seem to work. I met a lady once whose son tragically had died of meningitis. She'd felt drawn to a spiritualist medium to try to contact her dead son from beyond the grave. And she came away from that experience saying that it must be real because the medium told her things that only her dead son would know. And she kept going back again and again, getting more and more drawn in and becoming more and more bitter as a person. And of course, she was right in a sense. She was receiving messages that were more than just the uh, imagination or, or trickery of the, the medium. But it wasn't the spirit of her dead son. It was a demonic spirit, the char character and fruit of which was more and more evident in her life as she became more and more deeply involved with it. Now, interestingly enough, the deception of spiritualism is somewhat similar to the deception of Gnosticism that John was warning against in, in, in this letter. Because just as spiritualism offers secret knowledge to its adherents, the kind of knowledge that people would be desperate to hear and so would be compulsively drawn in into, so Gnosticism offered secret knowledge to its adherents, knowledge claiming to be of ultimate worth, the knowledge of how to live forever. And just as with spiritualism today, Gnosticism was able to back up its claims with impressive displays of inside knowledge, making it seem obvious that Gnosticism was right because it achieved results. Well, John's starting point for approaching this confusing maze of the 
supernatural needs to be our starting point too. John's starting point was to say that you cannot assess something primarily on whether it works or not. Because the spiritual realm is both good and bad, and you can't tell which you're plugged into just by the initial results. Now, as John says, don't believe every, every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they're from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. So his starting point is don't be gullible. Gullibility is and always has been rife in Christianity. Christians are so desperate to hear the secret thoughts of God, you know, the ones that will really change their lives, that they'll run to anyone who reputedly has an anointed ministry and lap up whatever they're saying without applying any discernment at all. You know, St. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5, don't put out the Spirit's fire, that is, don't go to the other extreme of throwing out everything that claims to come supernaturally from God. But don't treat prophecies with contempt. Test everything. Hold on to the good. Avoid every kind of evil. So Christians aren't called to be negatively suspicious, but positively cautious. And, says John, there's one basic, simple test that we need to apply to anything that claims spiritual insight and authority. The test is the attitude to Jesus Christ. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. Now, why is this the crucial test? Well, because spirits are either in rebellion to God or in worship and adoration of God. To acknowledge that Jesus Christ came in the flesh is to acknowledge the incarnation. Not simply that Jesus took human nature, but that he, he took human flesh. You may, may remember that I was saying that one form of Gnosticism, called Docetism, claimed that Jesus only appeared to be a human being. But in reality, couldn't have been because God abhors anything physical and has nothing to do with it. Consequently, Satan, who was the inspiration not only for the deception of Docetism, but of all other deceptions, will not acknowledge that Jesus Christ came in the flesh, because that would be to expose the falsehood at the heart of Docetism. But neither will he acknowledge that Jesus is the Christ at all, because that would be to admit defeat completely. The Christ or Messiah, who had come to rescue humanity from his grasp. Consequently, this, this becomes one crucial test to unveil what's behind a practice or philosophy. Does it acknowledge that Jesus is the Messiah, the Saviour? And does it acknowledge that he came into the world, became a real man, died on the cross and rose again as the only means of our salvation. If it does, then it's of God. If it doesn't, then it isn't. Now, John uses language that is crystal clear and unambiguous at this point because Satan is the father of lies and will seek to fudge the issue and confuse with ifs and buts. So often belief systems say lots of wonderful things about Jesus, and they'll borrow Christian language, which will make them seem authentic, 
but will stop just short of acknowledging that Jesus Christ was fully God and fully man, the one and only way to the Father in heaven. Jehovah Witnesses, for example, will happily talk about Jesus Christ as being more than just a man. Listen to what they say about him. Jesus, the Christ, a created individual, is the second greatest personage of the universe. Jehovah God and Jesus together constitute the superior authorities. Now, they go on to say in one of their authoritative texts, let God be true is what it's called, that he was a God, but not the almighty God who is Jehovah. And John says that there are actually only two spiritual sources, God and Satan, who produces the Antichrist. And as we've seen before, the term Antichrist means the one who stands in the place of Christ, who imitates Christ in order to lure people away from the truth. And the crucial difference between those two sources is not miraculous works, but what they say about Jesus Christ. Does what they say tally with the real, authentic Jesus as revealed in the Bible? But there's an equal and opposite extreme to just gullibility or, and gullibly accepting everything that seems to work, and that is to become paranoid about the supernatural. You know, you may have come across such people. You know, there's a demon under every bed and Satan's waiting to pounce on every wrong word we utter or thought that we think. In fact, the demonic is all they ever seem to think about. So John now focuses on this type of people and admits and reminds them that the victory over Satan has already been won. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Now, this epistle of John's, apart from the book of Revelation, also written by John, is the book that most uses the word overcome. There's a real note of victory pervading the whole book. The sense in which the word overcome is used here is in the perfect tense. It's a past event that is not passing, but permanent. And that's because although John is referring to them being victorious over these false prophets, he's seeing the spiritual reality behind that and saying that actually you have the victory not just over mere mortals, but over the spiritual reality behind them, over Satan himself. The victory that has been won, that has ensured that we have overcome the enemy is permanent in its effect. We aren't in the position of overcoming the evil one, uh, the evil one today, but tomorrow we might be on the losing side. Our position on the winning side is assured and permanent. And it's because the one who is in us, that is God through his Holy Spirit, is greater than he who is in the world. In other words, why spend uh, all your time being transfixed by the threat of a defeated enemy? Christians spend far too much time acting like a defeated minority, when in, the, in reality, they are on the winning side, they're on the one side. But one of the reasons that we often behave like a defeated minority is that that's how it seems from a worldly perspective. 
You know, people like, you know, Russell Grant can get full page spreads in Sunday newspapers. People like Paul McKenna can get invited onto all sorts of TV shows. People in their millions listen to the likes of them. Who listens to us though? And as that kind of reasoning sinks in, so defeat and despondency get a foothold and begin to go to work on us. And we become demoralized and dejected and, and the whole thing becomes self-fulfilling. Indeed, I've even heard Christian leaders saying of uh, malicious gossip and slander that, you know, well, lots of people are saying it, so it must be true. That's the position that Christians were in in, in John's day. Gnosticism was becoming so popular that it, it must be true. And today people say, well, the, the occult is so popular. Tarot cards are so popular. New Age philosophy is so popular. There must be some truth in it. No way, says John. The people who push these ideas are from the world and speak from the viewpoint of the world and the world listens to them. Just because millions are deceived doesn't make that deception the truth. Those who live in darkness would prefer to hear about the things of darkness. Those who live in the light don't need to buy into the things of darkness just because those who live in the darkness do buy into them. We live in an age where it's definitely not politically correct to believe in absolute truth. I received just the other day a request from, uh, or a while ago, a request from the Christian radio station, Premier Radio, to, to sign a petition uh, against a proposed racial and religious hatred bill on the basis that, as it currently stands, it would become an offence to proclaim that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one can come to the Father except through him. If it upset, for example, a Muslim. Now, that piece of legislation, which uh, thankfully has been defeated, went all the way to the House of Lords. In fact, the idea of absolute truth is so out of favour that many church leaders in this country have abandoned the notion and no longer believe in the authority of the Bible or that Jesus Christ is the one and only way to eternal life. This world, certainly this society, has moved towards tolerance and relativism. But John would say, if he were here surveying our society today, don't Believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Christianity has been on the wane in, in the UK, in fact, in, in much of the Western world, uh, for more than half a century now. And the biggest reason has been that in an attempt not to upset or alienate anyone, Christians have lost sight of the truth and have just accommodated anything and everything. The church has ended up at a position where it doesn't really upset anyone because it is totally irrelevant. But worse than that, it's failed to provide spiritual leadership. And in that vacuum, Gnosticism has come back to life. 
and the occult is more rampant today than it's been at any time since the Middle Ages. It's time we repented, turned around and started giving the world the lead that it needs. But that battle won't be won until the battle within ourselves is won and we learn to grow in discernment and wisdom because by no means everything that glisters within the Christian uh, movement is gold. And the third key to discernment? Well, apply the same test that John applied. If a prophet does not acknowledge Jesus, that person is not from God. Such a person has the spirit of the Antichrist. You've heard that he is going to come into the world and he is already here, says John. Acknowledging Jesus is far more than a begrudging nod in his direction. All right. <laughs> the, word, the word acknowledge is better translated as confess, homologoi. And confessing Jesus is a shorthand way of saying that you agree that Jesus Christ is fully God and fully man. He came in the flesh, he died on the cross, he rose again from the dead. In other words, for John, there was no better test of the spiritual reality of anyone claiming to be a, a Christian than the question Jesus himself asked uh, his followers back in Mark 8, verse 29. But what about you? Who do you say that I am? Do you remember I was saying that there were two main streams of Gnosticism, one called Corinthianism and one called Docetism? Well, Corinthianism held that Jesus, an ordinary man, became God um, at his baptism and reverted to being an ordinary man just before his crucifixion. So John's test would expose them because they didn't believe that God became man that the one who was fully God and fully man was born in Bethlehem, lived for 33 years and was crucified, died and was buried. Docetism taught that the man, Jesus, was not really a man at all. He, was, he just seemed like a man, but was in reality God who just appeared in the shape of a man. So John's test would expose them because as he says in verse 2, every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. To come in the flesh means to be an actual, real human being. There is one question that cuts to the heart of so much deception that unearths the spiritual reality behind any particular teaching. And it's this, what about you? Who do you say that I am? Now, does this teaching and the spirit behind it acknowledge that Jesus Christ is the only way to the Father, that Jesus Christ is fully God and fully man? The starting point for discerning the spiritual reality behind any teaching is to find out what they think about Jesus Christ and then to discern whether that belief is being lived out in the life of the person trying to pass on that particular teaching. What is the spiritual fruit of it in their life? And how do we know whether we're staying on track and growing as healthy, authentic Christians? Well, we know because we'll be growing in a passion for Jesus. 
the real Jesus, the Jesus that is revealed in the Bible rather than a non-biblical New Age version of him. We'll be drawing closer to him, not further away from him. The question, what about you? Who do you say that I am? Will be answered with greater and greater certainty and enthusiasm. As we draw closer to the real Jesus Christ who is revealed in the Bible, we draw closer to the truth and further away from New Age deceptions and Satan's distractions. So what about you? Who do you say that he is? Are you more sure of who he is and what he means to you now than when you started? Do you have a growing passion for his name? Are you more than ever convinced that he is the way, the truth and the life, the only way to the Father? Are you more committed to and more passionate about working out that belief in the real world? As the Father sent me, so I send you. As I think about those questions, the verse of an old hymn comes to my mind. Were the whole realm of nature mine, that were an offering far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my life, my soul, my all. What about you? Who do you say that he is? Let's pray. With the whole realm of nature mine, that would be an offering far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my life, my soul, my all, demands everything of me. Lord, the real Jesus is incomparable. The real Jesus is unmatchable. The real Jesus is the one who changes everything. Lord Jesus, you are the way, you are the truth, you are the life. Forgive me, Lord, when I just settle for an insipid, people-pleasing version of the real thing. And I pray for a fresh zeal for the Lord to consume each one of us, a fresh passion to come from God to fire us up, to not only believe in, but live according to the real, authentic way, truth and life, Jesus. As for you, what about you? Who do you say that I am? I say that you are Jesus, fully God, fully man, who came into this world, who lived in this world, as an actual human being who died on the cross for my sins, who was buried in a tomb. Three days later, he rose again to forgive my sins, to pay the price of my sins. And he is now ascended into heaven, sitting on the right hand of God the Father, interceding on my behalf. I believe in you, Jesus the real thing.